This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Titus chapter 1. Today, I want to share with you good news for gluttons. But rather than explaining what I mean by that title, uh, I want to unpack it a little bit at a time. If you could pinpoint one issue or one attitude that's at the heart of our sinful American culture, what would it be? Perhaps you might argue that it's how we're so tied to our technology. That's our problem. Uh, Maybe you would argue that it's our obsession with all things sexual, and that's what's wrong with our culture. Maybe you would say it's our decreasing concern for human life, and that's what's wrong with our culture. Maybe you'd argue that to pinpoint just one issue is beyond impossible. But this morning, I'd like to argue that there is one attitude that is at the heart of all our sinful ills. And with the presentation of that problem, I also want to offer the biblical solution. It was near the end of the Apostle Paul's life when he sat down to pen a letter to his friend Titus. And he wrote to Titus with a specific charge, and he makes it clear that this charge comes in response to some specific issues. Titus was on the island of Crete, and he was there... uh, on Crete to do church work. He wanted to spread the gospel, but Titus was specifically focused on edifying believers. He he wanted to invest in their lives. He wanted to help them to grow spiritually. Uh, That's what Titus was there to do. And in his letter, Paul instructs Titus to appoint leaders there among the Christians who can properly lead the Christians who are on this island of Crete. Today, the Mediterranean island of Crete is known for its unique mountains, its beautiful coastline, its ancient historical sites, its cultural music and poetry, among other things. It's a a tourist destination in the Mediterranean. In Titus's day, it was no doubt known for some of those same things that it's known for today. But at least for some, it had a different reputation as well, one that was not all good. Around the year 600 BC, a Cretan writer, that means he was from Crete, uh, named Epimenides, he was considered to be a prophet by his own people, Uh, not a Christian at all, but he was considered a prophet by them, a pagan man. But he gave this stinging indictment of the people of Crete. He said something along the lines of, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. That's what he had to say about his own people. Not exactly a statement of stirring nationalism, but he called it like he saw it. And from his perspective, his own countrymen were scoundrels. Centuries later, when Paul wrote a letter to Titus, as he was serving on this same island of Crete, he too was quick to point out that the Cretans had problems. And I'd argue that the problem at the heart of their issues is our problem as well. Let's take a look together at what Paul has to say in the book of Titus, in Titus chapter 1, as he presents the problem. 
Verse 10 of Titus chapter 1 says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Then he says, One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. So Paul is agreeing with what Epimenides had to say about the Cretans. They had problems, but may I ask for a hand, a raise of hands this morning. How many of you have problems? All right. I'm glad to know that for the most part, we're an honest bunch this morning. None of us are perfect. And I think that most of us don't have a hard time admitting that. But consider how you'd answer if I asked you personally, what is wrong with you? What is your problem? Don't worry, I'm not going to call anyone up this morning. But consider, how would you answer that question? Uh, maybe you'd say, well, my problem is that I've been struggling with laziness. And I've been getting up too late in the morning. I've been late for work. It's been, it's been messing with me. That's my problem. Maybe you'd say, my problem is impatience. I keep getting angry at my spouse and my kids. I keep getting angry at my coworkers. I'm blowing up at them. Impatience is my problem. Maybe you'd say, selfishness, that's my problem. I always have a bad attitude when things don't go my way. And that's what my problem is. Are those things problems? Sure they are. But are any of those things the actual problem? Last summer, I started experiencing some sensitivity in my right eye. And before too long, it became downright painful. It, it felt scratchy. It was super sensitive to light. And pretty soon, I, I couldn't see very well. I, I, it got to the point where I couldn't even drive. And so my wife had to drive me to urgent care. And they could have said there, all right, you have eye sensitivity, pain. All right, here's some ibuprofen. Here's some eye drops just to make sure your eye can stay moist. And hopefully that'll help to alleviate the pain a little bit. And I would have said, well, okay, what's the problem with my eye? Oh, well, that's not important, as long as we can help to alleviate some of the pain that you're experiencing. Uh, that wouldn't have been good enough. And thankfully, that's not what happened. They took a look. They quickly diagnosed me with mucopurulent conjunctivitis. That's pink eye. And they gave me some, some drops for that, which did wonders in clearing up the eye, and it, it, it all was well. Because they were focused on relieving not just symptoms. They weren't just dealing with a surface issue. They were trying to determine the cause and treat what was causing that problem. And that's exactly what I wanted them to do. In your life, the apparent problem might be laziness, it might be impatience, it might be selfishness, it might be discouragement, it might be an addiction, but none of those things are the real root problem. So, what is your real problem? Well, your real problem is gluttony. And you might say, that's not what I expected you to say. Well, I would tell you this morning that I struggle with gluttony, and that each of you do as well. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm not just saying that we're all struggling with our relationship to food. 
All right, That is one area of sin we can struggle with, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. Take a look with me back at Titus 1.12 and those words that Paul quoted from Epimenides. He agreed with Epimenides that the Cretans were liars. We know what that means. He called them evil beasts, which literally means bad animals. He's calling them animals in the way that they live. And then he calls them slow bellies. Now that phrase, slow bellies, is actually a really literal translation of the Greek there. That's exactly what those words mean in Greek, slow bellies. What he means, he's expressing the fact that they are lazy gluttons. So what was at the heart of the issues that the Cretans were facing? It was their bellies. They were living in a way that I would refer to as belly-led living. The belly is a picture of our physical body's appetites. And the Cretans were living according to those appetites. They were living according to their bellies. So, that's why Paul and Epimenides likened them to animals. If they felt like doing something, if their bellies wanted it, then they did it. There is some exaggeration here for the sake of making a point, but as a general rule, if they felt like eating, they ate. If they felt like lying, they lied. If they felt like engaging in immoral behavior, they did it. If they felt like lashing out violently against others, then they attacked. They were gluttons, feeding their bellies, feeding their desires without regard and without restraint. They had a complete absence of self-control. They were gluttons not just for food, but for sin. And when I say that you and I have a problem with gluttony, that's what I mean. We too struggle with belly-led living. Living according to my desires, what my physical body desires, what, what my sinful nature goes after. That's our problem. We all too easily slip into the same kind of living that the Cretans were engaging in. Where we're feeding our desires even against our better judgment. The problem in Crete that made this even worse is that as Paul talks about in Titus 1, 10, and 11, there were teachers among the people who were spreading lies that condoned or at least failed to condemn this brand of gluttony. So the teachers were saying, you can live that way. It's not a problem. You can live according to your belly. You can live according to your sinful desires. You can engage in whatever it is that you want to engage in. That's not a problem. And that's what the teachers were, were allowing the people to believe. And that's a big part of why Paul said, we need people who are going to lead according to God's word. We need people who can step in and teach the truth. And that's a big part of what he is challenging Titus about in this book. Paul also points out in Titus 1.16 that there were those who professed to know God but denied that profession by the fact that they too were engaging in this belly-led lifestyle. So you can say the right things, you can be in church, but if you're living according to the whims of your sinful desires, you are contradicting that confession with your life. And that's what Paul says here in Titus 1.16. 
He says, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. So I would argue that we have a problem with gluttony. We find ourselves in a mess as a nation and as individuals because we are gluttons, stuffing ourselves with sin because we're letting our bellies take the lead. Now, before you start bashing the ancient Cretans or looking around at celebrity culture or uh, focusing on your extended family or maybe those people you went to school with who you're friends with on Facebook and you think, yeah, this is them. Let's look at our own hearts. Don't you see the glutton there? It manifests itself in different ways. But don't you see a heart that just wants to indulge your sinful desires? Maybe it shows itself in a gluttony for food. Maybe it shows itself in a secret obsession, in a wrecked relationship, or in days that are squandered. There's a hundred different ways that can show itself on the outside or that we can see it, but it comes down to a heart that desires sin and a willingness to give in to that. That's our problem. So what is the sinful behavior that you're indulging in to what you consider to be a manageable degree? What are you letting yourself do against your better judgment because your belly just wants it so bad. Your flesh wants that. Maybe this morning you deny that this is a struggle for you at all. Maybe you're managing to cover it up with a well-groomed exterior. Maybe it's eating you up. And you can tell that it's starting to affect different areas of your life. Maybe you're neck deep in addiction. Whatever your relationship is to this gluttony that we all struggle with, I'm happy to tell you that there is a solution. What is the solution to a gluttonous heart? What is the solution to a, a willingness to give in to our flesh, give in to our sinful desires, even though we know it's bad for us, even though we know that's not the right way? What is the solution to that? Well, you and I have developed coping, we develop coping mechanisms sometimes when we have these issues, ways to, to keep it from affecting our lives too much or ways to keep others from knowing about it. But what we really need is to deal with it properly. When we come to understand that we have an issue, what do we do? Well, often what we do, let's go back to the examples from earlier. You say, I'm lazy, that's my problem. I, I've been having issues getting up in the morning, it's starting to affect things, um, and so, what am I going to do about my problem? Well, I need to give myself a lecture. How about how if I don't get up earlier, I'm going to lose my job. Or if I don't get up earlier in the morning, I'm wasting valuable daylight. I need to give myself that lecture, and that'll, that'll get me going, and I can conquer this laziness. Or maybe you're, impatience, you're impatient with others, and you find yourself blowing up at them. You might say, well, I need to count to 10 before I respond to them. Or... I need to lecture myself about how I would want them to be patient with me, and so I need to be patient with them. Or you, you say, I'm selfish, I, I have a bad attitude when I don't get my way, so what I need to do, I, I need to put myself in other people's shoes, and that'll help me not be so selfish, and, and try to think about things from their perspective. Well, 
I could go on, but maybe you've tried those sorts of things. Do they work? Well, maybe a little. Maybe for a time. But none of those really deal with the heart issue. They might relieve the symptoms, but you're still sick. What solution does God offer to us in this book of Titus? Well, we're going we're gonna to consider three aspects of the solution this morning, and we're going to focus in on the last of those three. But first of all, uh, we've looked at some verses in chapter 1, and uh, we looked at verse 12 where, where Paul quotes Epimenides, and then he says, this witness is true in verse 13. Then he goes on to say, wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Part one of the solution for gluttons is confrontation. Paul told Titus to rebuke the sinful gluttons sharply. In other words, not to pull any punches in confronting them about their sin. I hope that your own heart has been confronted with your sin. But if we're not willing to stand up to that and say, I, this is a problem. I have a sin problem. I am a glutton for sin. If we're not willing to admit that, then we can't take it any further than that. And so Paul is telling Titus, you need to bring them face to face with their own sinful hearts. Allow them to realize that they do have a sin problem. This is not okay. And so confrontation is important, but it's not the whole story. You know, sometimes we can think, well, I'll admit that I have a problem with sin, and that's enough. As long as every once in a while I'll beat myself up over my sin and say, oh, I'm a horrible person, I can't believe I did it again, well, that'll make me feel better for a little while until next time I beat myself up over my sin. As long as I'm willing to admit that I have a problem, then I'm okay. And even sometimes those of us in authority, parents or others who are in authority positions, we can think, as long as we can get someone to admit that they're wrong, then we're good to go. That's enough. But if we really think about it, we realize, no, that's not enough. That's important. But just being confronted and being willing to say, okay, I've got a problem, that's not the full solution. Next comes solid teaching. Titus 2.1, Paul admonishes Titus to speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And this is actually much of what the book of Titus is taken up with. Paul is telling Titus, here are the things you need to be teaching. Here are the things you need to be instructing people about. In chapter 2, he goes on uh, to give specific instruction about what Christ-like living looks like for older men, for older women, for young men, for young women, and for servants specifically. And he, he speaks to each of these, those groups. He says, Titus, here's what you can tell this group about what it looks like to live in a Christ-like way. He's giving solid teaching. I remember learning to drive a five-speed. And I'm very thankful to my dad for the amount of time and patience involved in that endeavor. I stalled out a bunch of times. But when that happened, my dad didn't just say, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. I already knew that part. The car had told me. <laughs> Instead, my dad would remind me once again of how to do it right. You have to let up on the clutch 
really slowly, feel it engage, give it a little bit of gas. And he'd say, no, no, you have to lift, it needs to be slower than that. No, 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 you need a little more gas. And he would instruct me in the right way to do it. It was important for me to know this is not how it's supposed to be. But it was also important for me to have someone come alongside and say, this is the right way. That was the wrong way. This is the right way. Solid teaching is so important. We need to be brought face to face with our sin, with our gluttony, with our unbridled desire for and pursuit of sin. But we also need to be taught what godly life looks like in contrast with that. But you might say, I know all this. I've tried so hard to leave that sinful life behind. I've tried so hard to live a good godly life instead. And I'm failing over and over and over again. I've read the Bible. I've learned the Bible. I've heard the teaching. I, I know what's wrong. I know what's right. And yet I'm still, I still haven't found the solution. I'm, I've been confronted with my sin. I've had the solid teaching. And yet it's like something's missing. Well, I have beautiful news for you because the third part of this solution is actually the most important and is foundational for the other two if they're going to be truly helpful. What is it that is truly going to help us to turn our backs on our ungodly and gluttonous desires and to live self-controlled, godly lives? Look with me, please, at Titus chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The solution is grace. Now before we dive into how, this, how grace is the solution to gluttony, we should ask, what is grace? And uh, the place my mind goes to explain it is parenting. When a baby's born, good parents are going to recognize and embrace a responsibility for that life. They're going to work hard. They're going to give up sleep and comfort and convenience and whatever else they have to give up to lavish on that baby all that he or she needs and usually a whole lot more. The baby has not done anything to buy that favor or even to ask for that favor. But it's given nonetheless. The parents have committed themselves and they are going to honor that commitment. And they are going to give and they're going to give and they're going to give. That's grace. Favor bestowed even on the undeserving. Goodness that is freely shown. When it comes to the grace that this passage talks about, we see some ways that God's grace is shown. We can look backwards at grace. Verse 11 of chapter 2 talks about the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Christ came and died for sinners. That's grace. We can also look forward to grace. Verse 13 talks about looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So Christ is coming again. And along with that coming come promises of eternal bliss with him for the redeemed. That's grace. But grace is not just about, 
I can look back at grace and I can look forward to grace. Grace is also about right now. Grace is right now because Jesus Christ is right now. To help us see how grace is the solution to our gluttony, we need to consider two aspects of how it interacts with the lives of people now. We're all gluttons by nature. But there are actually two categories of gluttons. And the grace of Jesus Christ is good news for both. Verse 14 of Titus 2 says that Christ gave himself for us. And then it gives two reasons that he gave himself for us. The first is that he might redeem us from all iniquity. So, grace is good news for lost gluttons. When I say lost, I mean those without Christ. Those who are still at odds with God. And what is it that makes us at odds with God? Titus 2.14 calls it iniquity. It's our sin. It's our disobedience to God's law. And how many of us have disobeyed God's law? We're all sinners. We've all committed iniquity. We have all broken God's law. But Jesus came to redeem us from that iniquity. See, you may or may not realize this, but, you, but if you've not experienced the redemption of Jesus Christ, you are actually a slave to your own gluttonous belly. You're in bondage. And maybe you have tried so hard to conquer those sinful desires and you can't do it. You're stuck. But Jesus came to change that. He came to turn that around. He came to set you free. His death and resurrection provide the key that unlocks the chains of your sin. Because he paid the penalty that you deserve for your iniquity, for breaking God's law. And he extends to you that key, that salvation. An act of amazing grace. Undeserved favor. And what he asks is a heart that is willing to admit that you are a helpless sinner. You are a gluttonous captive to your own belly. And he wants you to receive that free gift of eternal life a new life with him at the center of it. Here's how Paul expresses this amazing truth in Titus 3. Titus 3, 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So he's, he's listing out some of the outworkings of belly-led living, of that heart that desires and seeks after sin. But, he says, after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You who are by nature a gluttonous rebel against God, can be washed from your sin, can be renewed by his indwelling spirit, and become an heir of the wonders of eternity. That's what Paul is saying here in Titus 3. 
all because of God's grace. And so grace is the solution for lost gluttons because without grace, you can do nothing about your slavery to your own desires. But through Christ, you can be set free. And instead of belly-led living, you can experience Christ-led living. But grace is also good news for saved gluttons. See, it is true that those of us who know Christ are no longer slaves to our bellies, but it's also true that they're still there. And those gluttonous desires continue to pull at us. And all too often, we find ourselves living not like those with new life, but like those who are chained by our own lack of self-control. But Titus 2.14 tells us that Christ gave himself for us, not just that he might redeem us from all iniquity, but also purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. His grace has the power not just to redeem, but also to purify. After all, as verse 12 told us, it is his grace that teaches us to live sober, righteous, godly lives. It is the undeserved favor of God on our lives and Christ living within us that instructs our hearts to live as something new. Instead of living as gluttons, living belly-led lives, we can learn to live as Christians, living out Christ in us. As Paul points out in Titus 3, 8, and 9, the Christian life is not about debate or obsessive study. In fact, he warns Titus about getting too engrossed in those things. Instead, rather than just filling our minds with Christian facts, Christianity is about submission to God and living out our beliefs through good works. That's what God desires for us. And that's what his grace is able to accomplish in us. Believer, if you're going to find freedom from your own gluttonous belly, the answer is the grace of God. Reflect on God's grace. Thank God for his grace. Rely on his grace. Submit to his grace. He continues to give daily grace to those who submit to him. And we need to learn to recognize and lean on that provision. The reason so many of us are failing over and over and over again is because we have taken the responsibility of living the Christian life and we are trying to do it from the basis of our own fleshly bellies. We are trying to live in a way that pleases God out of a life that by nature hates everything that pleases God. But Christ in us is a new life. And as we submit to his life in us, that's where the power comes from. Paul finishes out uh, this section in Titus 2 where he's talking about the grace of God by saying in verse 15, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. 
let no man despise thee. Once we've come to appreciate the grace of God, we are ready both to give and receive rebuke and instruction. We talked about the importance of confrontation, the importance of solid teaching. Well, as we come to submit to God's grace, we're ready for those things. We are ready to hear the confrontation and take it to heart. We are ready to take that solid teaching and for it to be lived out in our lives because we're dependent on the grace of God. The key to solving our gluttony is grace. What would it mean for you to hear that you have tuberculosis? Well, in the 18th century, it would not have been uncommon, but it would certainly be unwelcome. There were years in the 1700s when as much as, uh, when close to 1% of the population of Western Europe and North America were dying to tuberculosis every year. During the 18th, 19th, and into the 20th centuries, tuberculosis remained a leading disease, and mortality rates among those who contracted TB were high. They got as high as 80%. And so a tuberculosis diagnosis felt like a death sentence. There was no treatment. Um, There were things that the doctors could try to do, but none of it was really effective. Well, over the course of the 20th century, with the advent of antibiotics, the development of treatments for TB, things changed dramatically. And there are certainly still challenges that are faced by the medical community, but a tuberculosis diagnosis now is much less ominous than it would have been back in the 18th or 19th centuries. In areas with good screening and good treatment availability, treatment success rate is around 90%. The difference between then and now is striking. The same news could be received very differently. We can all appreciate that the news that you are sick sounds a lot different if you know there's a cure. This morning, I hope that you've been brought face to face by the fact that you are a glutton for sin. But I hope that you also see that there is good news for gluttons. I hope you've been able to acknowledge your own gluttonous heart this morning, understanding that however it may manifest itself in your life, you have a heart that loves to sin. And I hope, too, that you've caught a glimpse of the wonder of the beautiful gem of God's grace. If you're unredeemed, if you're still captive to your own sinful desires, if you're lost in your sin, recognize that Christ has paid the price for your redemption. He offers you salvation today. He desires to cleanse your sin. He desires to save you today from your belly-led living. And he desires to become your new leader. If you're among the redeemed you're struggling today with your gluttonous heart, I hope some light has been shined on the way ahead. The solution is not trying harder. The solution is God's grace. He is able to make all grace abound toward you. He is stronger than your belly. Be ready to listen to rebuke. Be hungry for sound instruction. 
and recognize that the power comes from God's good favor and from Christ dwelling in you. Look to him today. His grace serves both as the motivation for purity and the power for purity. It is all about him who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. If today you're living in victory over gluttony, over your, your, your drive for sin, then praise the Lord. That's only by the grace of God. Be faithful to confront and to instruct and to point others to Christ and his grace as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this book of Titus. Thank you for all the, inst- the good instruction that we find here in this book. Lord, thank you for the precious verses we've been able to consider today and what they tell us about your precious grace. Father, may we be willing this morning to come face to face with the reality about our own hearts. And Lord, may we also be willing to come face to face with the reality of what can be done about the state of our hearts. So Lord, I pray this morning for any who are here who don't know Christ, would you help them see that they're not going to be able to free themselves from their sin by their own effort. They are slaves. And without you, they will spend eternity separated from you, still slaves to their own sinful desires. Lord, if there's someone here who does not know Christ, would you work in their hearts that they may come to you today? And Lord, for those of us who are believers, I pray for those who are struggling this morning, those who have their sin manifesting itself in one way or another, may we be able to attack not just the symptoms, but the true cause. And may we surrender ourselves to you in the work that you're doing. And may Christ in us make the difference. Guide us in this, we ask. Be with us as we have this time of invitation. May we all respond as you want us to. And may we surrender to your grace in however you are working in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.